Hello, podcasters. Patrick here. Uh, truth or not sorry. <laughs> anyway, I got another episode here uh, put together this morning. Anyway, this is about St. Vincent Home. Revisited once again, for those of you that don't know what that is. St. Vincent Home was the uh, home where uh, the Daughters of Charity from the Catholic Church uh, took care of uh, young people that were displaced and were not in foster care and not with a, uh, their own family. So I was there, it was 1973. Uh, I was age 11 and while living there at St. Vincent Home, went on a little fishing expedition across the road, across River Road, which is directly across the street or road from uh, St. Vincent Home on the Titabawassee River. And uh, on my way walking over there to meet up with uh, several of the boys from the home, <clears throat> St. Vincent Home, they're already there. Uh, I was to meet up with them with my fishing pole and gear. I uh, came across a gruesome scene quite by accident. Uh, as I said, I was crossing the river, or I'm sorry, <laughs> crossing River Road to join the fellas. Uh, they were already fishing on the Titabawassee, and uh, I was walking through the lawn next to the Daughters of Charity Nunnery, which was built in the early 1800s, uh, Riverstone Nunnery. Um, next to that in an open uh, lawn area in Thomas Township. Uh, evidently a mental patient from a from the behavioral ward at a mental hospital on Hospital Road had escaped that evening early in the morning hours three four o'clock in the morning and had made his way uh, from Hospital Road 11 miles over to the nunnery nearby where we were fishing like right next door to us anyway and that was just the night before early hours and evidently he had killed three nuns got himself a, a hold of a knife and uh, uh, decapitated two of them and then stabbed the other just horrible I mean geez oh man I mean I get it you got some mental problems but you know three or four o'clock in the morning you come across the old building and find out that there's nuns living there and, and the, you come up with this uh, idea that they gotta die that's wow. I can't I can't even fathom. I can't. I can't do it. So that's why I call them insane, because they gotta be. They're doing stuff like that. That's the best they can do with a new idea. Freshly escaped. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so I was walking through the lawn trying to get over to the river. And I'm walking through the lawn and uh, next to the to the uh, nunnery old river stone building. Uh, the lawn was freshly cut on the southeast edge of the large lawn. And next to the lawn, were, well, in the lawn, there was like a, a knoll, a hill, something you'd see on a golf course or something. I don't know, kind of a hill. Anyway, but just at the edge of that hill, it came to a wooded area that was, you could clearly see that it was a borderline and the wooded area was there. So I traveled the edge of the wooded area on that lawn and uh, as I was walking along I came across that little hill that little knoll and uh, I looked and there was a nun's habit 
Now, for those of you that don't know what a nun's habit is, it is the, um, I guess the uniform that a nun would wear, including the, the headwear with a little white collar-like thing, not collar, but lining or edging, piping. I don't know what else to call it. Anyway, so in this little hooded like thing that they wear, that's called the habit. So the habit was laying there, and uh, there was fresh blood spattered all over the grass and on the white portion of the of the habit. Smeared and spattered all over the lawn. I mean, I could still see in my mind's eye, my memory, I could see the sunlight passing through the green, translucent, somewhat grass with the dark spots of the blood and smears on the blades of the grass and the freshly cut lawn smell. I could, I can still remember that. So I looked over at, uh, at the nunnery and there was the mother nun, I'm not sure to, what else to call her at this point, head nun, mother nun. Anyway, sitting on the front porch of that very old building and um, I shouted over to her, sister, there's a nun's habit lying on the ground over here. And her eyes grew huge. And she looked like she was just in shock. And she shouted back to me, don't touch it. Stay right there. And she came over. And then she told me that it was part of a, a very, very bad thing that had happened the night before. Um, she told me that I had to stay there and wait for this detective to come in from Saginaw. And I'm like, man, there goes my fishing trip. Okay, well, so I just stood there for a while and I got hot. And then I found a stump just off the lawn into that wooded area on the very, very edge of it in the shade. So I sat down because it was hot, very hot July, mid-July, humid kind of kind of hot you know to be sitting there in the sun so anyway or standing there waiting in the sun so it turns out that um, that was the scene of the brutal murders of these nuns the night before so and I could feel it I could just feel the existence of something that was so wrong that had gone so badly and it was so heavy the air just felt thick and heavy and yeah, it was probably just the humidity, but God, it was horrible. It was just a terrible feeling. So, anyway, so I had to sit there and wait for this detective. I sat there waiting for th like three hours for this clown, okay? Not a happy time. So, I mean, waiting in the sun or in the heat, humidity for anyone or anything for three hours just sitting there waiting that's tough that's tough for anybody let alone 11 year old kid so anyway so he finally shows up and he's just a big guy sweaty and nasty polyester suit and just kind of a brute kind of a thug very rough you know just uh cussing a lot under his breath and just you know kind of an ass sorry but he was you know and that maybe he was desensitized to his job and Blah, 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 blah. But 11-year-old kid don't know that. Okay? If you can't handle it, bring a social worker. Someone that does. 
can't handle that, then, you know, just come get your evidence and leave me alone. Leave me out of it. So, uh, so he interrogates me for like an hour. Same question over and over and over. And I answered the same answer over and over and over. And, uh, did you touch it? Where did you find it? How long were you going through here? How long were you here? How long have you been here? Why were you going through here? All these things. And I told him, going fishing. Just passing through. Found it laying there. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so rough, rough, rough person. So after an hour, I got really hot. I was really thirsty. And I began to just shut down. The heat just got to me. I just stopped talking. He kept asking questions, and I was just thinking in my head, I'm done. I'm all done. I'm done. I gave you everything I got, and I'm not going to repeat it anymore. I just sat there. I didn't say a word. So finally, I guess he probably uh, put it together in his mind that, you know, okay, I think I probably got as much as I'm getting out of him. So then I was told by the head nun or mother nun or whatever you want to call her, that evidently I had come upon evidence that was left behind from the Saginaw Police Department investigators, the investigative team that had been there in the early hours of that prior morning or that morning and had been accidentally left behind. So that's what I found and that's what I discovered. And uh, I don't know why, I don't know why it just happened, but I mean, I'm grateful that I didn't find the actual bodies there. I'm glad that I didn't discover, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, you know, I heard and saw enough. I heard and saw enough and it, it bothered me a tremendous amount. So, and the sense that you get when you're sitting there and you, you just feel it, you know, you just feel. Uh, and I even remember at one point I could like vaguely, vaguely whispery like voices hear them saying, um, women's voices have said, you know, we're, it's okay, we're all right now. Don't worry, we're going to be, we're okay now. And I remember thinking, how can I hear that? How am I able to hear that? Am I imagining this? So I figured, well, no one's going to believe me, so I'm not going to tell anybody this. So uh, I never spoke about the event to anyone, really, until about 2016, four years ago. And uh, I spoke to Father Bob DeLand, who had come to the Saginaw Diocese a few weeks uh, after that actual event in the summer of 73, or, yeah, 73. That's when Father Bob finished up with his preschool or whatever you call it. And um, so, anyway, and no one had ever mentioned to him um, the, about those murders that uh, happened that night in, on, at the nunnery on River Road in uh, Saginaw. So I also remember Sister Janice Dwyer, who I think is in retirement now, or she's maybe still in uh, inner city Chicago, who was uh, the actual property manager of St. Vincent Home, 
maybe more than property manager, maybe kid manager at the time. So um, I remember hearing her say, we will not openly disclose this event as it will discourage nuns and priests to come to our diocese in the Saginaw area. Anyway. So... I talked to Father Bob about that as well, and uh, he said he never heard a word about it. And I said, well, that happened. I asked him when he had arrived in Saginaw at this diocese or whatever the Catholics call it. And he said that indeed it was around the same timeline, within weeks. So I said, well, that's what happened. He was very surprised. So I don't know if he pursued it any further, but at least, you know, we talked about it. And that's good. So another excursion that I went on with uh, Father Bob and my friend Mark Martek from Bay City, Michigan, home of Madonna or Maguana, whatever you want to say, or however you want to put it. Um, anyway, so we would go on these little excursions. We went to the Saginaw Bay to a, I don't know if it was one of uh, Father Bob's friends or maybe his relative that had a beach house right on the Saginaw Bay decent little beaches, you know, and I would go and hang out with them, go out on a excursion uh, sailing for, you know, uh, anyway, so um, one time I came across a huge dead carcass of a uh, muskrat laying on the beach, and the, I was asked to bury it, so I just dug a hole on the beach, three feet deep, dropped it in, and, and buried it. And then the others, uh, the adults were happy that I dealt with it so quickly. So I handled it and they were happy, you know. So, and then the next week was my birthday. So I came back to that beach area. So I was turning 12. And um, I guess the stench from that um, um, decaying muskrat the, the um, decomp smell had leached out of the sand up into the air and, and then the sand area. So this, I, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I mean, you know, you're 11, 12, you don't really know stuff like that until you find out. And then you know, you know. So anyway, so uh, let's see. So I'm sitting there. I'm back at that same beach, same area, kind of, but not right where the muskrat was dead because I didn't smell anything. Anyway, so this neighbor comes by. Guy's probably in his 50s, whitish hair. Starts yelling at me. Yelling at me like loud. And then told me, why did you bury that dead muskrat on the beach? You caused so many problems for our family and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, wow, you know. All right. So he made, he made me lean down and then he pushed my face down into the sand where that was buried. That muskrat was dead and buried and uh, held me there and I couldn't breathe, you know, suffocating me in the sand. So finally I fought hard enough, got away from him. And uh, just as I did, he grabbed me by the nose between his fingers, of uh, his index finger and his thumb and just squeezing as hard as he probably could. Uh, you know, and this crazed ass is hurting me. You know, I mean, it hurts. So uh, he squeezed so hard, in fact, that I got a bloody nose out of the deal. And it hurt bad. I remember sitting, uh, I remember he walked away, and then Father Bob showed showed up, and he saw me 
sitting in the sand, bloodied, in pain. Face was white because I was kind of going into shock. And uh, took care of me, helped me up and got me some water, got me in the shade, cooled me off. And then I remember looking outside and here's uh, Father Bob. Um, His voice was raised as he had been confronting the jackass that had just assaulted me. So uh, this guy's yelling at him and they're yelling at each other and Father Bob calls the police and made a a police report as to this fool. And uh, I was told to sit in the police car and um, ID the jerk when they walked him out, which I did. I don't know what happened to him after that. don't really care, but man, what an ass. I mean, you gotta be a king-sized jerk to hurt a kid that didn't know any better with something like that. I mean, I mean, I understand why he was kind of upset that it stunk so bad, but you don't have to abuse me over it, you know? I would have just gladly dug it up and reburied it elsewhere, which I did because the guy forced me to do that anyway before the cops got there, before Father Bob came by. So this guy thought that I was out to, uh, that I was set out to cause him personal grief, that it was my personal uh, journey in life to attack him and his beach area. I mean, I was 11, you dipshit, you know? So I'm sitting in the cop car, they want me to ID him, which I did, and it's so painful that I actually go into a seizure. I have a seizure. That's how painful it was. Jeez, I just don't understand. So, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this part of the story because if anybody encounters a kid that does something that doesn't have a whole lot of thought behind it, it's because they're not developed yet for thinking that much. Maybe they should be, but some kids are not because they're malnourished and, you know, abused and... Um, without a family and without the natural setting that one needs to uh, grow and be uh, healthy, you know, and, and have good experiences. So I'm saying this so that if you're an adult and, you know, and some kid does that, don't hurt them. Say, hey, listen, man, this thing's dead. It stinks. Can you please dig it up? Let's put it in a plastic bag throw it away, or let's just relocate it in the woods, bury it, take it to the dump, burn it, something. But don't abuse the kid, you know? I mean, gee whiz, that's extreme. I think that's extreme, okay? Some might not agree with me. Some might think, well, the guy was in his right. No, he wasn't. Anyway, so then, uh, let's see. I'm just telling you because I think that adults that have overactive and paranoid behavior like that, you're a turd, man. You're a turd. So, uh, let's see. That's it. Yeah, you know, I I don't mean to be negative, but, uh, you know, I just really, really want people to hear it so that they can say, oh, yeah, yeah, that was unnecessary. Huh. Okay, I get it. So maybe you've had some kind of an experience like that where, you know, a complete stranger did that to you or, or 
I don't know, it's kind of a weird little scenario, really, but, um, that one, and then, like, the other with uh, the, the cop, the detective, you know, yeah, he's trying to do his job, okay, he's trying to get all the information he can, but why do you gotta be so brutal, why do you gotta be such a brutish thug, you know, and just look, people have look at you, have people look at you in a different discerning way, like, wow, you know what, you might have been able to do that better. You know, maybe if you can't do it, get a social worker to come along with you or call Father Bob or get a hold of somebody else that might be a little bit more diplomatic in the way that they talk to a child. Just saying. Thanks, everybody. Adios. Take care.